Today we begin a brand new series titled, What MLK Would Say Today. And in this series for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the words and writings of Dr. Martin Luther King. And out of the past five years that I've been preaching, I have to say that I think that this series could be the most relevant and most terrifying sermon series I've ever preached. Most relevant because some of the troubles and issues that Dr. King was facing in his day, we are facing similar issues today. And Dr. King was able to give inspiration and guidance for his generation. And I think that if we look at those words and we catch his vision, that that could help guide us and inspire us in this generation as well. So it might be the most relevant sermon that I've ever preached. But it's also the most terrifying because for, first off, it's Dr. Martin Luther King and I wanna be able to handle his words and, and, and his ministry well, but it's also really terrifying because let's be honest, Dr. King got killed because of the words that he spoke. And so this series has a lot of energy behind it, and I'm just so glad that you're joining me today. Now, this poster right back here, I've had in my house or my apartment or my fraternity room, somewhere in the place that I live for the past uh, 20-something years. I got it when I was an, a teenager, when I was about 13 years old. I had this vague memory of picking it out. I was on a trip seeing some colleges with my big sister and my dad. She was getting ready to go off to college, and I was like a sixth grader or something like that. And I was at a college bookstore, and I was looking through a bunch of posters. If you remember, they used to be in frames, and you kind of scroll through them like this, and then you find the poster that you like, and you look down below, and there'd be like a code, and you'd find the poster. And out of all the posters that were available at this college bookstore, I chose this poster. And I didn't know much about Dr. King at that point. I learned a little bit about him in school, but I, as I reflect on why I would have chosen that, why I've had this poster in my office or my bedroom ever since that day, it's because I think that, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, for me, became a cultural symbol of our culture at its best. Of course, he's much more than this, but when I think of Dr. King, I think of what he stood for. He stood for equality of all people, and I think that that's our culture at its best. He stood for standing up to injustice, and I think that that's our culture at its best. He, he stood for loving one's enemies because he was a minister of the gospel, a follower of Jesus Christ, and I think that when we have that posture of love, that's our culture at its best. Dr. Martin Luther King, maybe for you, I know for me, when I think about him, what he represents above and beyond everything else is our culture when it's at its best. On January 6th in Washington, D.C., I think we saw our culture at its worst. There was people there that believed that their cause, that their understanding of what was right and wrong, what was so important that they were willing to take the lives and, of other people to create destruction, to force their way into the Capitol. Police officers got beat, people got hurt, people lost their lives. And I think that that was our culture at its worst, filled with anger, conspiracy theory, all sorts of things, whatever it might be, but it manifests itself in creating destruction, both of property and of lives. And that's our culture at its worst. 
Over 50 years before that day on January 6th, there was another gathering in Washington, D.C. It was a peaceful gathering, and at that gathering, Dr. King gave what is thought to be one of the most important speeches ever given in America, and you've probably at least heard the title. It says, I Have a Dream Speech. And if Dr. King could speak to us today, I think what he would say is, dream my dream, this dream that he laid out in this famous speech. And you might be familiar with some of it. You can read it online for free or watch it. But in that speech, he said this, I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged, or will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today, Dr. King would say. He'd say that I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. And we need to pause right here because Dr. King, he's being specific. He's talking about a specific person that those that were alive and part of the movement of that day would have known of. And that is Governor George Wallace, the governor of Alabama. Now, I did some reading about Governor George Wallace. It turns out that he ran for governor uh, one time and he lost. And then he decided to adopt a segregationist racist platform because he understood that racism was a politically expedient thing to help him gain the office of governor in Alabama in 1963. And when he did join or become the governor of Alabama, he gave this famous inaugural address where he said segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Emboldened by... Governor George Wallace, there was another person, I think the person that Dr. King's probably thinking of when he says the word vicious racist more than anyone else, and that is Eugene Bull Connor, who ran for mayor in Birmingham in 1963, ended up losing in a runoff, but refused to leave his office of commissioner of public safety in Birmingham. In the spring of 1963, Dr. King, with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, came to Birmingham with the belief that if they uh, were successful in a civil rights campaign in Birmingham, Alabama, which was one of the, the most racist cities in America at that point, Dr. King called it a police state, they believed that, that if they could win a civil rights victory there, that would be a catalyst for creating change throughout the country. In Birmingham in 1963, Dr. King and the other leaders, they employed a new tactic. They recruited teenagers from the high schools and young adults from the colleges to be part of the campaign. On one day, they marched out of the black area of Birmingham and into the white area, and they were met by Eugene Bull Connor and his police officers who used fire hoses powerful enough to take the bark off of trees, powerful enough to put protesters, peaceful demonstrators into the hospital. They used it on these teenagers and the adults that were with them. They used police dogs, billy clubs, and they brutalized the protesters who were standing up for the equality of all people. And so when Dr. King says, I have a dream that one day right there in Alabama, he's talking about a, a nation and a place that was not only divided, but people were willing to use violence and brutality to assert their, their view that they were right. And he said right there in Alabama, he believed he had a dream that little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. He had a dream. 
And if he was here today, I think what he would say is keep dreaming this dream. But it brings us to a question, a question that I have, which is this. It's, it's what makes King think that such unity and equality can be achieved? I mean, just a few months before in Birmingham, fire hoses and police dogs and billy clubs were used on teenagers and peaceful protesters. What does he think that can bring a country that was so divided together? What would it be? Well, it's right there in that famous speech. Most of us know the second half of the speech or are aware of it where he talks about the dream that he has. But before that, he lays the groundwork that would allow us to achieve that dream. Here's what he says. He said, let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. You see, King understood that if they were going to stand up for equality in the face of vicious racists and people like Governor George Wallace and Bull Connor, those that were willing to use brutality and violence to get their way, to keep their power, that that, that was going to challenge the hearts of those that were standing up for civil rights. And he knew that this was an issue because Dr. King is the Reverend Dr. King. He's a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus taught about the heart about as much as anything else. In fact, he said this in the Gospel of Matthew. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So if somebody is engaging in a lot of slander, if they're attacking the character of somebody over and over again, as some of our politicians have done, as our president has done, that's an issue of the heart. If somebody's engaging in false testimony when they have good reason to believe that that the situation is one way, but they keep saying the other thing, as has happened with the election, King would say, I think Jesus would say, there's an issue of the heart. Because it's out of the heart that come these destructive things. In his great Sermon on the Mount, Dr. King's speech, the I Have a Dream speech, probably one of the most important speeches, if not the most important speech ever given in America. But the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5, is perhaps the most important sermon ever preached. And Jesus starts it off with these attitudes of the kingdom. And one of the attitudes is about the heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I got to admit, I've been struggling with this one. After the events happened on January 6th, which in my understanding is just the, the culmination of all sorts of things that have been happening up until that point, I was overwhelmed with sadness and grief and anger. And the next day, I posted a video on Facebook. Some of you watched it. I read from the words of Dr. King. And I think in that moment, I had control of my heart. But just a few hours later, a friend of mine posted a cartoon. It was of this guy riding a bike, and he was carrying a Confederate flag. And he hits a rock, and he falls over. And then as he's on the ground, he blames Antifa, the anti-fascist movement. And I wrote on that post, those who feel shame cast blame. And I believe that. I believe that if you're carrying a Confederate flag, which for the most part, come on now, it is a symbol of the Southern racist past. Many people believe that. Perhaps you disagree. But if you have racism in your heart, I believe that down deep somewhere underneath it is shame. 
Because God created you good and created you to recognize the dignity of all people. That nobody is, is better than another person because of the color of their skin or their gender or their sexuality, any of that. And so if you hold those views, I think down deep somewhere buried in you is shame. And I know that those who feel shame, the way we uh, deal with that is we cast blame because it's painful to deal with our shame. So we cast blame onto others. And so what I wrote, I, I, I agree with intellectual, intellectually, but I ended up taking down that post because one of my brothers in Christ, a member of our church here, Matt McElroy, he, uh, he commented on it and he basically pointed out that, that, that I was adding to the anger and the way that I in the way that I posted. And immediately I, I felt that he was right because I, I began to realize that, that as Dr. King warns us of, that bitterness had started to grow in my heart. And while intellectually I, I think the post was, was on point, where my heart was coming from, it was the wrong place. And I thank you, Matt, for trusting me enough, for loving me enough to call me out on that in a respectful, kind way that you did. Friends, if you don't have a church community, people that you've given permission to speak into your life, it's hard to monitor the condition of your heart. We need one another. King goes on to say, our aim must not be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his freedom or his friendship and understanding. Because it is our heart that begins to think that the goal is to defeat someone, to humiliate them. And, and you know this is true. If we can bring this down from the, the, the meta struggle of the civil rights or, or what happened on January 6th and, all, 6th and all the political strife, if you just think about the f- struggles you've had in your own life with your friends or your family or your spouse, Sometimes when you get in an argument with someone, your goal is not just to win the argument, but it's to defeat the other person, to show that, that they are wrong. But if, if, if you want to have a loving, good relationship, you can't seek to defeat them. Instead, you want to win them. You want to win understanding. This is a concept that Dr. King calls soul force. He says that we, we must not meet the forces of hate, or we must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. We must meet physical force with this idea that he calls soul force. Basically, it's the concept of Christian love. And in this article that he wrote about five years before his I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King, he details this idea of Christian love, this idea of soul force. And I laid it out in six points, which is a lot of points. I don't expect you to remember those six points, but I just want you to to, to feel uh, in your heart where King is coming from when he talks about his concept of soul force, this thing that we are to meet the physical force of hatred and bitterness with in our society and in our culture. The first thing about soul force, about Christian love, is that it's active. It's active, nonviolent resistance. King never preached to be passive. 
We're never to stand by while evil and hatred have its day. He, he would say that if your only uh, option was to use physical force in the face of evil, then use physical force. But King, he understood from the teachings of Jesus and then the movement led by Mahatma Gandhi that there was another way, a force more powerful than violence, for us to deal with the evil in the world. And that was active, nonviolent resistance. And if you engage in this act of nonviolent resistance, again, the goal is to win the enemy, not to defeat him. At, at one point in time in his letter from the Birmingham jail, he, he says something along the lines that he's going to show that their capacity to suffer is, is greater than the capacity of those who inflict violence on them. Their capacity to love is greater than their capacity to express hate towards them. And, and the whole goal is to win the enemy back because Dr. Martin Luther King and others, they understood that when there's injustice, those who are the victims of injustice, they're denied their humanity. But those who are the perpetrators of injustice, those who are the perpetrators of violence, they also have lost their humanity. And so the goal is to win them back to their best self, to who God intended them to be. The third thing that he says is that the goal or the, the struggle is against the forces of evil, not people who do evil. It's too simplistic to think that if we just take out certain people, then that evil is gone. The New Testament teaches that evil is actually a spiritual force and it can infect even those of us who at one point in time are on the so-called right side. And so the battle is always against evil in the world. Jesus says that evil comes to do three things. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It wants to disrupt things and break things and it works by twisting the truth and spreading lies. And the, the battle is always against evil in the world, not the people who do evil. And if we're honest, there's a little bit of evil in all of us. A little bit in me, a little bit in you. And if we're not careful, if we don't watch the conditions of our hearts, bitterness and hatred will set in, and then we will be an instrument of that evil in the world. The battle against evil is first and foremost always within in managing our hearts. And it's never simply against a person, it's against the evil that's within them. If you're going to engage in Christian love in the world using soul force to stand up against the destructive forces of evil in whatever way they manifest in our culture and in our communities, you need to accept the reality of suffering without a desire for retaliation. Love requires suffering and sacrifice. But we have to let go of the desire to retaliate. This means for me, basically going against the narrative of every action hero film I grew up watching, when the good guy finally decides that he's going to pick up a gun or, you know, clench his fist and give it back to the bad guy. That is a Hollywood narrative, but that is not the way of Christian love. It's not what King taught. It's not what Jesus taught. Rather, it's in accepting our suffering denying ourselves the desire for retaliation. He then says that we need to avoid at all costs physical as well as spiritual 
violence. And this gets back to the focus, the one point that I would want you to remember in this message, which is we need to keep a pure heart because hatred, it clouds the heart. When we let bitterness and hatred into our hearts, that will cloud our hearts. And we can think that we are on God's side of things, yet be instruments of something else, of evil and destruction in the world. And that's one of the things that troubles me so much in our culture today, that if you listen to some political pundits, even some politicians, it's as if they traffic in bitterness and hatred, that somehow they're the victims and somebody's done them wrong, and I think it's clouding the hearts. Not even a month after Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech, a speech that was covered by the press, a speech that was, was brilliant and inspired a nation. It, it looked like things were going well. They had actually achieved some victories in Birmingham. And then King gives a speech, and this huge amount of people are in Washington, D.C., but then a month, not even a month later, at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, evil reared its ugly head again, and a bomb was planted. And four little girls lost their lives as they were taking their Sunday school lesson. King also says in his book that, that on that same night, the, another young black boy was killed by the police, and another young black boy, while riding his bike, was attacked by a mob of young white boys. And he still had the dream of these people coming together. But the reality is, is that even when we make progress, the spiritual battle remains which is why King makes this final point about his concept of soul force, the idea of Christian love. He said that those that employ Christian love, those that employ this idea of soul force that meets physical force, they have to have a conviction that the universe is somehow always on the side of justice. That somehow there's a loving God, a just God, no matter how unjust things get, no matter how divided they get, the universe is on the side of justice, is on the side of reconciliation, is on the side of community and equality and unity. And this allows us to continue to express love in the world. After those little girls died in that church bombing, Dr. King was asked to do the eulogy. And he stood up in front of the mothers and fathers of those children and that community that had been terrorized by the vicious racists and the brutal tactics of that Birmingham Police Department, sanctioned by the governor of Alabama, George Wallace. And he said these words, we must not become bitter. We must not desire retaliation. We must not lose faith in others, even the most guided among them, we must believe that they can be redeemed. we got to keep our hearts pure. About 2,000 years before King said these words in this difficult moment, his master, our Lord Jesus Christ, showed us the way of love in this world, showed us how to respond to violence and evil in this world, showed us how to keep a pure heart 
right in the middle of the most difficult situations one could face. He said, from the cross. After he had been betrayed by a friend and abandoned by the others, after a false conspiracy was put together to put him up on the cross, after people who knew he was innocent convicted him anyways, he on the cross looked down on those that would be considered his enemies, those that had brutalized him and would brutalize his followers, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Dr. Martin Luther King was here with us today, I think he would say, dream my dream. No matter how divided the country seems to be, no matter how prominent forces of evil that want to kill and destroy people who think they're so right in their cause that they're willing to take lives, believe that reconciliation is possible. The enemies don't have to be defeated. They can be won back to the side of understanding and acceptance of everyone. That there is a way forward. I'd like to pray with you if you'd be willing to allow me. God, we pray for those who stormed the Capitol who perhaps in their hearts believe they were doing the right thing, who were part of a mob that led to the loss of lives, the assault of police officers who were there to just keep the peace. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. For the politicians and political pundits and people of influence in our country, who seem to be trafficking in bitterness and hatred and division and conspiracy and things that are just leading to the division of our country, whether they be on the right or on the left. Father, we pray, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. For those of us that are struggling with anger and bitterness in our own hearts, who lash out on Facebook or in family dinners or wherever it might be, just overcome by our feelings in this situation and somehow had add to the division. God, Father, forgive us. For at times we know not what we do. Help us to maintain pure hearts, God, so we can see the world the way your son saw it. That everyone is an object of your love. Everyone is a candidate for your redemption. Help us to be part of that grace. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.